Dan, don't, don't, just don't, don't be Dan about this. Don't be Dan about this. Just be cool about this. Don't be Dan. Really, in Los Angeles, an adult man is going to stand around with a replica gun and pretend to shoot? Like, where do you think that we're going to do that? She's going to at least be human enough to go like, Oh, yeah. Uh, like that. We are. Okay, hey, welcome to the Bitters Pills Dan class. I'm in my garage. <laughs> Under the flight path at Los Angeles International Airport. This, here's a window into my uh, psychosis. It's been horrible weather here in Los Angeles for the past two days. Okay, horrible weather. Uh, so uh, Hudson, Hudson's home from school. Hudson and I have been home moping around in the horrible weather in the house all day for two days. Um, the sun finally came out about 45 minutes ago. So what is my reaction? Hey, I know. I'll go in the garage and sit in a dark box now that it's sunny and record a podcast. Uh, how are you doing? I'm, I'm okay. How are you doing? We're, we're, we're periscoping this uh, also. As I record this, I'm theoretically, I think, broadcasting, I think, on Periscope, I think, uh, I have no idea. I don't know if anyone's watching. I don't know if I'm really broadcasting. I'm just going to try to ignore the whole thing. Uh, every once in a while, I'll glance over and try not to read the comments. Because well, basically, I don't want to just sit here and read comments. You know what Periscope is? Have we even covered that ever? Periscope is a Twitter company that uh, supplies streaming video from your cell phone. Yes, now people around the world can watch you walk around the mall mumbling to yourself. It's wonderful. It's a great vehicle for attractive women to just sit and giggle into their phone, reading comments from people that think they're pretty. And that's what I'm trying to you know, resist. Okay? Okay. So, not only has it been two weeks since we've done a show, and by we I mean I have done a show, and when I say show I mean recorded myself babbling, um, and then even before that, I think I was weeks of weeks of stories behind. So I don't, uh, you know, once again, I think I'm going to start with the most recent and then try to go backwards somewhere in there, digging out some sort of meaning. It's not going to happen. Um, okay, so this is where I've been. Uh, about a month ago, I had lunch with my friend Scott. And my friend Scott said, hey, I'm doing this thing. It's called this Collaborative Filmmakers Challenge. You, you should think about doing it. What, what happens is you have two weeks to make a short film. Okay? They give you a quote. You have to kind of make a film based on this quote, if you can, inspired by this quote. And then that's what you do. And then that's what you do. And you have two weeks. And you have to collaborate a little bit with the other people. And that's part of the shtick. And that's part of the idea. And there you go. And uh, do that. And he said he did it, you know, last year it was a lot of fun. He didn't he didn't make a film himself. He helped on some things and he was going to, but he wanted to do one this year. He thought I might want to do it. And then I kind of forgot about it. Until I don't even remember what kind of brought it back into my whatever. Well, I think I saw a thing on Facebook that said he was going to the big launch party. And so I kind of got on it and I was like, okay, I better really look ahead, whatever. So I looked at the website again and I signed up. And I think it's like $35 if you're going to make a film or whatever, right? Now, how I'm going to make this short film, I mean, I guess, you know, I have a little bit of trepidation at the time, right? But the truth is Hudson keeps making short films that I help him with. Like, it is possible we have equipment. I'm tucking into some equipment, right? Do you understand? We have some, we have, right? We're somewhat able to do that, right? So, so I signed up. I go to the launch party. I have to go to the launch party late, of course, because I'm a father. You know I'm a father. I'm a father. I have kids. They have to be driven places by me. So I finally get everybody home or fed or fed in home or whatever, and I go to the launch party, and I'm late. Luckily, Scott's there. He introduces me to all these people, and, I, and it's this awesome thing that I'm clearly right involved in. It's so weird that two people are watching me do this right now because I've always thought it's stupid to watch people essentially record a radio show in front of a camera. Do you understand how that's kind of a stupid thing? <laughs> so anyway, what was I talking about? 
I don't know if I can talk about this for an hour because there's really nothing to say. I guess there is some stuff to say. I'm going to say some bad things in a, in a short while about about uh, Scott. Not about Scott, but about our experience together, which is a shame. And it's not really about Scott. It's just about me being uh, crazy. So, so they give us the quote, and it's an Adelaide Stevenson quote. Which is, in essence, let me think about this. I should have looked this up before I sat down to record because obviously I'm going to want to quote the quote. And yet I haven't read the quote in like two or three weeks. But the quote is something like, a free society is a society in which you are uh, free to be unpopular. Something like that. Okay, so that's the quote. So I've got two weeks. This is on a Thursday. They, they lay this on us, right? You have two weeks to make a, a, a film. Three minutes to six minutes long. Based on the quote, inspired by the quote, or completely ignoring the quote, a free society is a society in which you are free to be unpopular. And the idea of this challenge, because it is a filmmaker challenge, the idea of this challenge is to um, collaborate with the other people. You kind of have to collaborate. You have to, at the very least, collaborate with, I think, one other person. And you have to have one other person collaborate with you. And those are the rules, and that's the way it's going to go. So I say to Scott, well, Scott, I'll help you with yours. Maybe you help me with mine. Th- there's, There it is right there. We're fine. Great. Covered. So I spend the – so that's Thursday. So I spend Friday, Saturday, Sunday racking my stupid, stupid, stupid brain trying to think of an idea for this film thing that has to be three to six minutes in Adelaide Stevenson. Right? And I'm coming up with nothing, trash, bubkiss, just really, just nothing, no, nothing that goes anywhere, and certainly nothing that uh, would involve any of the actors that I met. And I met all these actors at the lunch party, and I'd seen a bunch of them in short films that were on the site from the year before. And I'm trying to, well, I could use her in this. I could do. It. Maybe she could play this. Maybe she could be my agent, or she could be the mother of a student. I'm, maybe I play a college professor. No, no, it's just it can't. It, I have no. Do you understand? Do you have you ever wondered why I've spent ten years doing a podcast where I essentially talk about my family? Do you want to know why? The reason is, I have no imagination. I can't make up a story. What I do is, I for 10 years, I've come in here and I've told you the, essentially the truth or versions of the truth. I've, I've told you that basically the truth was stammering for 10 years because I have no imagination when it comes to making up a plot or something. So I'm sitting there for three solid days pulling out what's left of my hair trying to come up with something. So I eventually land on something. I'm playing with a guitar pick. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm distractedly playing with a guitar pick. I don't know why. I think I'm nervous to talk to you. It's been so long that I've I've developed shyness. No. So I I finally come up with this idea, which I will not tell you about. I want you to just see the thing, the finished product in all its uh I'm using the term glory in quotation marks, you understand? But I want you to see it in its glory. In its glory. So, but I do come up with this idea, and it involves mostly myself, Hudson, my son, my daughter, my wife, in a brief cameo, and then maybe one or two other people that I'll try to pull from the thingy, you know, the collaborative thingy, right? Great. So we shoot the thing. Now, listen, I don't know how to light video or film or whatever. I don't really know. My We have some lights. I've One of the scenes is in the kitchen. I flood the light with ki- the kitchen. I flood the light with kitchen. Yeah, tr- tr- trust me. I flooded the light with kitchen. Um, no, but, but because Hudson was still in school, I had to shoot after school. But before the sun went, I don't know, it's a whole, th- I do really need to know the, the neurotic m- mastications. That's not even really the word. But do you understand, you know what I mean? Like, when the sun's going down, you, it, you're, it's a time, it's a time crunch. Okay. Let's just put it that way. It's a time crunch. So the idea is Scott's going to come over. He's going to work the boom pole for us, for the microphone. Hudson and I are going to do the, the main scene that sets up the whole premise for the movie. In the kitchen slash dining room area of our, of our huge mansion, our palatial estate here in Los Angeles, roughly the size of your freshman dorm room. 
And then uh, Scott and I are going to go out and shoot some stuff. He's going to help me shoot some stuff of me walking the, the lonely streets of Westchester uh, by myself, hands thrust in my pockets. So that's what we do. I mean, it's fine. It went great. It went, it went great and fine. And I'm not exactly a, a you know accomplished director. So we ended up having to shoot a couple pickup shots. But there is this one part of the film where so there's this tense dialogue going on between me and Hudson. And then at some point, Tulu walks in and interrupts. And I think this is the funniest part of the whole thing. And so I keep thinking that that's going to be that's the show stealer. That's the show stealer. Showstopper scene. Do you understand? As long as you know what I'm trying to say, that, that's the main thing. My daughter comes in, she steals the show, and then she leaves. Ha, 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 ha. So we nail that. Then Scott comes. Then we shoot the thing. with Boom, pull, or whatever, whatever. We figure that out, whatever. Go. Scott and I go out with the camera. I work. The, I, I work. <laughs> yes, I work the lonely streets of Westchester as an escort. I did not make much money. We go home, we eat some crazy chicken, and then uh, blah, 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 right? But like I say, because because uh, because <laughs> I, have a, I have a problem. And again, probably stemming from my past experience um, being a comedian, which is a, a singular lonely experience, and then doing a podcast for 10 years, again, mostly sitting uh, at an hour at a time by myself here, uh, not used to collaborating with other people, therefore have not de developed the desire to collaborate with other people, therefore kind of trying to avoid having to include any other people in making what is essentially something that requires other people. So I kept shooting things, and then I'd have to go back and shoot something because I forgot to shoot something or I didn't do it, whatever. So it got done. It did get done. It did get shot. It got shot. I got a guy to come in. He met us in a parking lot on a Friday night in the middle of a parking lot on Friday night on in the, like 10 or 11 at night because Hudson and I had to go to the middle school film festival that he founded and we had to go there because he had to be there because you have to go there. You know what I mean? So that was Friday night. So the plan is that that's Friday night. And then Saturday, we're going to shoot Scott's thing. And Scott's thing is this like spy thing where I'm supposed to play an assassin. He's being interviewed. And Scott asked me to direct it. And I was like, okay, but I had. <laughs> He's like, don't worry. I have a camera. I have all this equipment. We'll bring all this equipment. I'm going to rent this room in a hotel. It's going to be great. We're going to do this thing. It's going to be awesome. So I've been shooting and cutting and everything. I'm up late that night. And then the next day, we go up to. I guess Brentwood or wherever this hotel is to shoot. He's got an actress in that we've never met. We've never auditioned her. She she sent an audition tape. She was fine. She was great. So I'm going to act in, block, shoot, and be the boss of the crew of a shoot of a thing of a thing. Okay, so, and then there's a helper there whose name I can't remember, which is probably for the best. So there's Helper, there's Hudson. I dragged Hudson into this, the poor thing. And there's the actress, there's Scott, okay? So the actress shows up. And we're like, okay, this is, hi, I'm Scott. This is my thing. This is Dan. He's going to direct and he's going to be your co-star, okay? And you're going to sit there and whatever and whatever. Now, I've not scoped out this room. So half of the room is a window. A window with Los Angeles sun pouring in the window. Scott sets up his camera. It's a consumer-level camera that he thinks is better than my camera because he's the one that paid for it, I guess. I don't, I don't know. He doesn't really know how to work the camera. He brought a microphone and a boom pole. He plugs the microphone into the camera. It doesn't work. We spend hours and hours of this very short window of time that we have in this conference room in Beverly Hills or wherever the hell we are trying to figure out the camera and the microphone. And he keeps pushing against the idea of us using my camera. I know how to, I've been using my camera for years. I've just shot my whole film on my camera. My camera assistant slash camera operator slash producer Hudson 
He knows how to use my camera. Can we just no? We got to was your camera? Sh no, it was. It was it became this thing. So we, we eventually. I mean, we ha we have to start rolling on something because time is ticked away. I have never learned the lines because I haven't had time to learn the lines because I've been shooting and editing my thing. So we start shooting. I'm learning the lines as we go. Very professional. The other actress is doing a fine enough job, I suppose, but I just don't know what we're even getting. Like, I don't know what we're getting. We're shooting, but I don't know what we're getting because it's not my camera. I have no experience with this camera. Hudson's in a panic because he doesn't want to be responsible for this camera, for this footage, for this anything. So time is ticking away. Time is ticking away. The person holding the boom... I don't remember if it was Scott or the helper, decides to put that boom pole on a light fixture so the microphone is hanging between us, but at a kind of a set height that is dictated by the structure of the room and not by the boom operator. That's why you have a boom operator, so they can stick the camera down, or the, the microphone down there, and kind of wiggle, do you understand? Wiggle the mic between the mouths and make sure that you're getting the best audio. Okay, fine. I have to admit something, and I'm not proud of this, but at a certain point, I gave up. I gave up. Not the acting part. I can't give up the acting part because someone's rolling, but I just, as it like, as the supposed director, I gave up. I, gave, I, I admit it. Something in me died, and it never reincarnated, and that was it. So we finally get through, I guess, the scene in a wide shot. We get through the scene on her close-up. We get through the scene on my close-up. Then there's this thing where I'm supposed to go to the window. I'm supposed to have a gun. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And I'm like, please, God, can we just finish this? And then can we drop the camera in a manhole? Can we? Is that Would that be possible? Is there a stairwell or something that I can launch this camera so we can fall 12 stories and we can never let any of this surface ever? So we finally... We're, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. And the actress and I are getting along, I think, very well. And then I, and she's in her close-up. And she's doing a good job, but I just want her to take it down a notch or two. Okay? I admit it. The director part of me is still like, okay. okay. So I say to her, let's do one more take. And then after this take, I'm going to give you a, a note. And that's a... In my experience, that's a very common expression to use. I'm going to, like, I have notes for you. You ever been in a play? Or It's not like a show business thing. It's anything like, we're collaborating and I have an issue with something you're doing. So I say to her, you know, after this take, let's do this take. But after this take, I want to talk to you. I want to give you a note. And she says, a note? And I say, yeah, I want to give you a note. And she says, what you mean, like you're gonna pass me a note, like in junior high? And I say, uh, no, like a note, like a, like I don't know what a, that's the word for it. <laughs> like there's the camera and the microphone, and I'm gonna give you a note. That's it. That's all there is. And she's kind of like having this puzzled experience. And at the time, I'm assuming. So she's so, I can't. She had a resume. This isn't her first time. So I don't know why she's objecting to my using that term and why she's almost like a little bit mocking me for using the term, I'm going to give you a note. And it isn't until much later that I think maybe she forgot that that the reason I'm stand, uh, sitting here and acting kind of bossy to everyone is that I'm also directing. So I say, I'm going to give you a note. And she's like, mm, really? And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I won't even bring it up. So she does the take and I'm like, die you know what I mean like I'm just dying and I'm like you know what I think I've died enough where it's not worth it for me to rekindle the discussion about what a goddamn note is so we run out of time now luckily we get everything in theory that we need in theory not in my book in my book the in my book 100% of what we done, had done would have been done differently if I if I you know what I mean? A hundred percent, except for maybe a moment or two of my performance and in her performance, too. and I'm not commenting on her performance. I just mean like on the technical slash directing end, 
the lighting and the the camera and everything. 100% no. Thank you very much. So Hudson and I are starving. I'm about ready to just be done because I have no, I have nothing now. You know what I mean? I have nothing. So we drive back to my house because I'm going to release Hudson from this experience. And, oh no, we, we, we go get burgers. We go get burgers, we eat, we drive Hudson back, we drop him off. And Scott says, okay, well, I, I want to keep, now part of me is like, please, Scott, can you please, Lord, dear, dear Jesus, please make Scott understand that this isn't going well and maybe give up. What do you say? He could give up right now and then we could just spend the rest of the afternoon watching Netflix and that would be wonderful. So I think I said this little prayer in the car and we get back to the house. We drop off Hudson and I say to Hudson, okay, buddy, well, you know, we're going to go, I guess. Are we really going to go? We're really going to go downtown and and like shoot the rest of this stuff that's really going to happen. I'm going to be in a suit in downtown and we're going to do our thing. And Scott's like, yeah, we're going to go. And I'm like, okay, really? Okay. And Scott says, oh, um, oh, the battery's dead on the camera. And I say, oh, that's probably not a problem because we'll just use the other battery, right? I mean, we're not, we don't have that much to shoot. It's going to take a long time to, to get there and get the shots. But I mean, as far as like footage time, running, running the camera time, we'll just put in the other battery. And Scott says, what other battery? And I say, well, the other battery. Hudson kept saying you had another battery. And Scott says, no. There's no, there's no other battery. You have two batteries. I don't have two batteries. So we sat in my house for an hour on a shoot day watching Netflix while the, while the uh, battery recharged. Okay. Now, now I'm like Dan. You, you, you have to just. You have to be cool, man. You're. You said you would do this, and you said you'd do this, and you're doing this, and you have to do this, and you're. You have eaten, and you just need to do this, and you need to do this. So then Scott says, "No, listen. I want to shoot the scene. Uh, there's a police around here. I want to shoot the scene where you're practicing your marksmanship." I've got the fake gun and we're, I'm going to take you out somewhere and let's do the scene. So obviously, right, he has now switched over to being the director. He is steering. Your Honor, let the records show that the, the, the transition has been made. So I say, really? Really in Los Angeles, an adult man is going to stand around with a replica gun and pretend to shoot? Like, where do you think that we're going to do that? Oh, well, around here, there's this place that I heard about. It's called Manchester Square or something. And we'll just go over there. I'm like, can't we cut that scene? Isn't there a way that we could cut that scene? Because a grown man, a grown ass man in Los Angeles with something that looks exactly like a real gun is going to pretend to actually aim this gun and pretend to fire this gun in a major metropolitan. This is L.A. This is we're LAX adjacent. There's cops everywhere. Don't worry. All right, so what's okay? I'm just trying to be cool, and I we're gonna not do this, but I'm trying to be cool. I'm trying to not be Dan. I'm trying to be collaborative and not be a jerk, which is who I am. So I say, okay, so this is the scene. So okay, I practice my marksmanship and I shoot a couple of tin cans or whatever, right? So, um, so I guess we need some sort of like fishing line or something. So when I supposedly hit the tin can, you can pull the fishing line. The fishing line is attached to the can. And that's going to make it look like I hit the can. Like, how are you going to hit the can? He's like, no, we don't need fishing line. And I'm like, well, how are we going to, without, uh, uh. and he says, well, I'll, I don't know. I'll hit it with a stick. And I'm like, okay, how is this magic invisible stick not going to be in the shot with the, okay, Dan, don't, don't. Just don't, don't be Dan about this. Don't be Dan about this. Just be cool about this. Don't be Dan. So I say, okay, because I thought I had some fishing line, but if you think, because this is your scene, man, I don't want to even, I don't want to say what I'm going to say about this scene and how I don't want to say that I don't want to do it, but I don't want to say that. 
So I'm gonna do, we're gonna do the scene. That's fine. We're gonna do it. You're gonna find a stick somewhere. You're gonna pull a stick out of your ass. Great. So listen, when you brought all the lights in the microphone, I I'm gonna assume because this is yours and not mine. I'm gonna assume that you uh, brought two tin cans for me to shoot because you wanted a couple of tin cans, two, three tin cans. Did you bring tin cans? And he says, no, I don't have tin cans. Do you have any tin cans? And I say, no, because um, this isn't 1973. People that live on the west side of Los Angeles that are pretending to try to keep up with rich people, they don't feed their children out of tin cans. Every once in a while, maybe some mandarin oranges for some stir-fried chicken. Every once in a while, maybe we get uh, like a chicken broth out of a tin can. But by and large, just to right generalize, the reason I go to the grocery store all the time is we don't eat out of tin cans. We don't do it because I'm married. I'm married to a woman, an upwardly mobile female in the 21st century who does not. We don't eat out. Of, we don't eat. We don't have to. Why would I have three empty tin cans? I'm a sane person ish. I'm not a hoarder ish. I can say that because the people watching on Periscope, they cannot see more than a couple of inches of the studio. If they could see the whole studio, they'd know that I am, I am some kind of crazy hoarder. But the way that I've set up the camera, all they can see is uh, maybe a light in the background and a couple, a little bit of soundproofing foam and some cables or something. They can't see the tons and tons of useless, like there's literally 15 useless guitars in here and I barely play guitar. Okay, maybe I'm a little bit of a hoarder, but apparently I do not hoard empty tin cans. So not only does he not have, and Scott, I love you. You know I love you. If you're listening to this, you know that this, I have to do a podcast. This is what I have to say, the, right? There are certain things that I'd love to talk about that I can't talk about. I have to wait for them to come to fruition. So this is the subject matter today. The subject matter today is my angst, and it's always my angst, about something I had to do. And just this time, it's about you. Well, your film. I have to check the time. One moment, please. Oh, it's only three o'clock. This is great. We have time. We have time to get through this. Okay. I don't know. who. Okay. Before we go back to the thing, so who, so who's listening? Rob, and who else? I couldn't see, and I don't know. Well, just say hi in the next ten seconds before I start. So, um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah. Do we get through the tin cans? Okay, so yeah, okay, okay, we're back. So, <laughs> so it's three. I checked the time. It's three o'clock. We're fine. I have twenty-five-ish minutes. And by the way, uh, just while we're taking this brief pause. I think I've made a tradition of this where every year I record a podcast, I think, or at least I try to, the the last day before summer starts because I know that my life is going to take some really bizarre turn. This is my daughter's last day of school. We'll see how this all pans out. Okay, so. So here I am, a gro- two grown, grown men, two pasty East Coast guys driving around in my car, my Mazda, Looking for Manchester Square. Now, it, it turns out, Scott is right. There is this place called Manchester Square. Manchester Square, I think that's what it's called. Manchester Square is a part of Los Angeles, just east of the airport, that the airport took over. And it was a neighborhood with apartment buildings and houses. And, and it's not the only one. Trust me, there's a bunch of them. But it's the most recent one where many of the buildings are still standing, but the whole area has been fenced off and all the people have been run out. They've been relocated or something. I don't know. So, But a bunch of the buildings are still there and transients have moved in. So it's this several square block area. I don't know if you know LA, but it's like between Century Boulevard and uh, I don't even know if it's aviation or what it is. Yeah, probably aviation and Century. Uh, not Century, aviation and uh, La Cienega. That, um, yeah, it's full of RVs. RVs, but not RVs like, hey, the Griswolds are going on a vacation to Wally World. I mean, RVs like, I bought this from Walt White. You know what I mean? Like that kind of RV, like a pre-post-current meth RV, like meth RVs. So Scott and I are in this meth RV trailing uh, trailer camp looking around for the cops while I pretend to shoot a tin can and he hits it with a stick. 
Because we are Hollywood professionals. And if Hollywood professionals know anything, it's that's really how you should go about shooting a scene. You go to where the most crackheads are. You pull out a fake gun with your six, uh, your five foot six and a half inch uh, self with your glasses on and your bald head and you pretend to shoot a can. So, so we did that. The cops never came. No one shot at us. And as we're leaving, these two young women, we'd, we'd drive past these two young, hot African-American women from one of the adjacent neighborhoods taking photographs of each other looking sexy. And I don't really know what the, what the etiquette is on that sort of thing because obviously there's really no expectation of privacy when you're in the middle of what is essentially a six-block-by-six-block six crack den Um you know you're out outside, you know, and you've consciously made the decision to put on a halter top and hot pants and a lot of makeup. So much makeup, honestly, that I'm not sure what your uh, gender is. I can see what you're, and I, and I need to make sure I'm clear on the difference between your sex and your gender. I think, I think, I really got to get this right once and for all. I think you're, oh, Shoot. Uh, now I'm not sure. Because one of them is your biological apparatus, based on your biological apparatus, and one is based on your identity. And until I started talking about with you, I was 100% sure I knew which was which. And now that I'm trying to commit this to audio recording, then I'm worried that I've got it all mixed up. Okay. Anyway, so much makeup that I'm not sure what the gear, if the gear down below was matching the, the outward uh, uh presentation. Either way, she looked good. I'm going to tell you that right now. Okay. She looked just fine. Whether she was boy downstairs and girl upstairs, so to speak, or girl all the way through, doesn't matter. She, she, she looked good. I wouldn't mind having a couple of those shots. I'm just saying, I'm just saying we will discuss transgender issues next time. I have much to say on that topic. It's all good, baby. Um, so we went downtown. There's really not much more to uh, this story to tell. Well, well, this part of the story. So we go downtown. We went downtown and uh, we went to Chinatown. We went to Old Vera Street, which is uh, like um, maybe the oldest street in Los Angeles. Founded by, I don't even know. You know I don't know history, man. Listen, it's an old Spanish slash Mexican street. It's very cool. There are a lot of tourists apparently down there. We ran around down there and shot some stuff of me acting uh, suspenseful. We went to Chinatown. One thing I didn't know, and this is fascinating, this is fascinating about LA. So apparently there used to be a Chinatown and there used to actually be a Little Italy. Now I used to make fun of LA for not having a Little Italy. I don't really fully trust any city in America, a major city that has no Little Italy. That just seems weird to me and kind of creepy. So I used to always make fun of L.A. for not having a Little Italy. And then it turns out it did at one time have a Little Italy. And I can't say Little Italy anymore, but you know what I mean. So it used to have one and a Chinatown. Now, why Little Italy's and Chinatowns are always next to each other, I don't know. Because I looked on a map and China is nowhere near Italy in real life. That's kind of weird. But apparently at some point, somebody, and I don't remember why, they pushed all the Chinese and the Italians out. And then maybe there was some backlash and then somebody said, you know what, I feel bad. Let's let the Chinese people move. I don't know what happened to the, I think the Italians just assimilated into the general, you know, whatever. Chinese uh, people, obviously not so easy. So they uh, didn't have that opportunity. So they wanted Chinatown back. So somebody said, well, you know, okay, we'll give the Chinese Chinatown back. And because we feel so bad about it, shoving them out, what we're going to do Chinese people, is we're going to build you a Chinatown. Now, we got some set designers from Paramount Pictures. This is how we're going to solve this cultural snafu. Because we feel so bad about running you out of the actual Chinatown, we've got some guys over at Paramount. They're going to build you a Chinatown. And then we're going to get some sets and props from Cecil B. DeMille. He's one of our top people, you know. And we're going to bring those in and we're going to give them to you. And that will be your new Chinatown. Because aren't white people awesome? 
So if you go to this part of Chinatown that I'm talking about, and I don't know what it's called, but you'll know it because you because you're walking through real Chinatown, quote unquote, real like what looks like a real Chinatown with real Chinese people and real Chinese like building or not. But you know what I mean? Like you've been in a real Chinatown. You know what it feels like. You're walking through real Chinatown and then you turn and then suddenly there's a statue of Bruce Lee and then there's the back lot of Paramount Pictures. And it looks like you've stepped into a Chinese themed uh, uh, cartoon. And I don't mean anime. I mean, like, you're waiting for Roger Rabbit to come around the corner. Like, this is just the most surreal thing I've ever seen. White people are awesome. So. So we shoot, we shoot, we shoot. And, and I, you know, we persevere. We shoot. We're shooting on the subway. We're stealing shots everywhere. It was, it was fun. But I but. I had lost control of something that I thought I needed to have control of. But then I did realize I didn't need to have control of it. And then I didn't want control of it. And then I was happy I didn't have control because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to try to make two films in two weeks. And this script is so close to a real, a feature script that Scott wrote that I do want to direct that it was just causing my brain to short circuit. So I drove Scott home. I went home. Blah, blah, blah. I finished my script, my my movie. And it used to have like this fake hat. It's a comedy. It's a sort of, I don't even know how to describe the humor. You'll see. I really want, I really want you to see it, but not today. So, <laughs> what a jackass. So, um, so it, but it had this ending, this happy ending where at the end I, you know, things, you know, I don't know if they're resolved or not, but, but I smile. I'm of course the star of it. Cause I, in all my neurotic insecurity, I am an egomaniac. So I am the star of the movie, of course. And so at the very end, you know, the camera pans up to the moonlit sky and the music swells, you know, it's this happy, positive uh, resolution to the thing. Right. So I show, I show the somewhat finished thing to our executive producer, my wife, who, um, you know, we, we don't always agree on these things. And I am often hesitant to show her things in a way because she, she doesn't come from the same place, right? She doesn't come from a place where her first edict is humor or her first edict is making a film. She comes from advertising. Now, that being said, she, is at the top of her game, advertising-wise. She literally just shot a um, commercial a commercial or two ago with Ridley Scott's son, whose name uh, escapes me right now. Shit. Sorry. Uh, but yeah, Ridley Scott's son shoots commercials, and he just shot a commercial for my wife. They hired him. Uh, it's a great spot. If you've seen a Mazda commercial that makes you want to cry, it's that commercial. It's the commercial where they show a guy's whole life in Mazdas and it's awesome. It's showing in theaters. It's insane that she's getting all this press and whatever. And then literally two days ago, she shot a new commercial with the husband and wife directing team that directed Little Miss Sunshine and a couple other movies. They're, they're just about to prep a Billie Jean King biopic with Emma Stone, like real. Okay. So I have my wife's opinion, regardless of how involved she's been in the process has a has significant weight for me it has to it would be very short-sighted and selfish of me for some immature boy reason or some immature husband reason or some whatever comedian whatever reason lone wolf dumb dumb right to to ixnay her opinion so i show her the thing and she says i don't get the ending you know, the part where you kind of pan up and you're smiling and then the, the music swells and it's all supposed to be happy. Like, I don't quite get that. So if there's some way that you could make the ending clearer, it wasn't that she didn't think it was funny or not funny. It wasn't even an, it wasn't an issue even of humor. It was just clarity. So I say, well, baby, I don't know how else to end it unless I just lop that part off and that'll change the tone of the whole thing. And I'm not against that. But it does change, it changes it from being like this happy thing to almost like being a horror movie. It almost would change the whole thing to be like a Hitchcock movie. And she's like, well, I don't know, I just, I didn't get the ending. And she just, that was the end of her thing. 
So I chopped off the ending and I looked at it and I literally kind of dug it actually. And then the music that I was using for just a bit of it, I ended up using for the score of the whole thing. And I don't even remember what it is I would tell you. It's like the Firebird Suite from Stravinsky. I don't know. So it became this kind of Hitchcockian, <laughs> not really, comedy. Okay. And I had my cowboy from the, right, the cowboy's in there. And I got him in there and I cut it together and I tried to do color correction, whatever. And I'm pretty happy with it. So I submit the thing. And then you have to wait to see if it's going to get uh, accepted right into the film festival. Quick time check there, sorry. So, so I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I'm waiting to see what happens with Scott's thing too. And I have very mixed feelings about Scott's thing. I want for Scott's sake for the thing to screen, but I don't think I was very good in it. And I'm worried that the whole thing wasn't handled as professionally no offense, but we were really just swinging a camera around downtown. I'm getting neurotic again about Scott's thing. But I wanted to screen for him, but I kind of like, I don't know. I don't know if I can watch it on a big screen. I think that would be hard for me. So they're supposed to announce who's being accepted into the screening portion and therefore is eligible to win prizes on the screening is Friday, Thursday, when... So I keep waiting. I keep waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And I keep checking the website for information. Now, little do I know that the pamphlet that they handed out at the launch party that I forgot to take, that I ended up having Scott scan and send to me, actually in there it says that they're going to they're announce who it is on Wednesday. So I'm waiting with bated breath all like weekend, Monday, Tuesday, like it takes no time for the judges to watch, you know, 25 or 55 or whatever it is movies, right? So I do notice the thing that says Wednesday. And I'm like, okay, this is it. We're way like the drum roll has begun. We're going to find out what's what. And Wednesday comes and goes. And then late Wednesday, I get an email from Scott. Apparently, he got an email that said, oh, we're, we're going to announce it first. We're going to announce it at 9 o'clock on Thursdays. So I'm like, oh, Jesus. So I wait till 9 o'clock on Thursday. And then 9 o'clock, they met have even at 9 o'clock said something like noon. And then at noon, they said something like 4 or something. Finally, finally. And the screening is going to be Friday. And I'm dying because I really need, listen, I need the acceptance. What I haven't told you is during part of this period, the Saturday that I was supposed to be writing the script, a good friend, Grant, you know, Grant Bachoco from Dr. Floyd, invited me to do stand-up at a show at a comedy club in Burbank, this place Flappers. Now, Flappers is fairly new. I think maybe five, well, five, new, new by LA comedy standards. It's about five years old. But it's a real comedy club. And he was doing the 20th anniversary show of him performing as Throwing Toasters. And he texted me while I was trying to come up with ideas for these scripts and said, hey, do you want to perform in this thing? Now, you know, I'm back to stand-up, but I, I was like, uh, <laughs> how long do I do? And I said, 10 to 15 minutes. I'm like, great. Now, I'm still getting my sea legs, but I really wanted to do this show. And I had a bunch of material. So I was confident that I had material and I thought it was going to go well. And I was really excited, but a little nervous. And so the Saturday, so this invitation comes the Saturday that I'm supposed to be writing. And then this, I've got this whole timeline mixed up. But anyway, but, but during the process of the whole film thing, somewhere in there, I do the performance at Flappers. And listen, Grant was very nice about it. And I uh, I think he was being sincere when he said, hey, you did a great job. No, it was great. And I was like, ah, yeah, it was fun. The truth is, I... Listen, I want everything to be an 11. Okay? I want everything to be an 11. I want every joke to work. I want everything to be an 11. And it wasn't an 11. Now, the audience might not have thought that anything was going wrong as far as I was concerned, but it to me, it wasn't an 11. When I first got, when I was doing like the thing where the audience is packed and it's everybody from school and know exactly which buttons to push, it's it, you can hit 11. You can hit 11 or you at least think you're hitting 11 and you think you're at 11 out of 10, right? The thing with Grant, definitely 
Uh, Grant, I think Grant is literally saying you did a great job. Okay. For me, dude, it didn't feel, and this is because I'm crazy, it didn't feel like an 11. And I want it to be an 11. So that's that's fine. So Grant says it's great. I love Grant, by the way. You know I do. So, which is fine. But listen, so so I come off stage. I think I'm doing okay, but I, I don't feel like an 11. I, I don't know what to do if I should help Grant move his equipment or whatever. He and I run into the owner of the club, who I've met a couple times. Now, here's my experience with people in power in, in entertainment. And popular girls from middle school. And popular girls from high school. And popular people in stand Like, everybody. I remember everyone. At least I say that, and then you're going to meet me somewhere, and then you're going to be like, we met at that thing, and I'm not going to remember you. So I know I'm going to be a hypocrite, but it doesn't matter. My perception is I remember everyone. And by everyone, I mean everyone that uh, ignores me. So, so So I have no expectation of people remembering me, because no one remembers me. Because everyone is a hot junior high girl or something. They don't need to remember people because everyone's always coming up to them and introducing themselves or something, right? So Grant and I are hanging out. I'm about to leave. The owner of the club comes up, whose name I think is Barbara. And Grant says, oh, and this is my friend Dan. And I'm about to say, we met at a podcasting conference several years ago. It's so nice to see you again, okay? And this is what I expect. I expect to say, blah, blah, blah. We met, we met uh, at a conference. And then she's going to say something like, oh, really? And if she's a human, she's going to like, oh, she's going to give me that. She'll at least, uh, please, Lord, she's going to at least be human enough to go like, oh, yeah. Uh, like that. Okay. And then, and then feign some sort of recognition. And that's fine because that's, that's what a normal, rational human being does. A rational, normal human being will be like, hey, we met before. And they're like, oh, yeah, so nice to see you again. And then uh, and then that's social. That's normal American 21st century social graces. Right. That's that's the minimum of what I expect. So I so Grant says, hey, uh, oh, and this is Barbara. I think her name is this is Dan. And then I'm about to say, I think we've met before at the thing or the thing. And then she says, oh, yeah, I think we've met before. Now, I immediately go into some sort of weird cranial meltdown because I can't believe that I've actually met another human being that actually remembers experiences from their past that include other human beings. See, she is acknowledging that she's a human who goes through the world interacting with other humans and actually retains the information of the facial structure and vocal of other humans. So she says, oh, yeah, I think we've met before. I don't remember where. But yeah, absolutely. We've I've seen you. Uh, I've met you several times. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we met at a podcasting conference. And I'm trying to act normal. But I'm thinking like, seriously? Seriously, God, Buddha, William Shatner, whoever is in charge, Neil deGrasse Tyson, whoever's in charge of this universe, thank you for finally, once every maybe two, three decades, putting someone in my path that can look me in the eye and say, yes, you actually are a solid mass going through this world. Because I've literally, on a couple of different occasions, I've run into comedians I know that I used to do shows with multiple times. I ran into a guy that I did a a, a, like this improv play. We did it for weeks. We would do this improv play and I would play, uh, you know, the, the mayor's uh, chief of staff or whatever. And we would improvise these town hall meetings and they were awesome. They were hilarious. It was in the early nineties, I think mid nineties. Um, and I ran into one of the guys that was in every show with me and he didn't remember me. And then he sort of like, I don't remember if he played it off. Maybe somebody else. And then I ran into this other comedian whose name you would remember. I thought he and I had done a bunch of shows at the same place together. And I'm like, hey, person who's... All right, his name is Jimmy. It doesn't matter. I'm like, hey, Jimmy, how you doing? He's like, I don't remember you at all. Did we meet before? Really? I'm that... So for Barbara, or I hope that's her name. 
Again, should have looked it up. Okay, I don't remember names, but I remember people. For her to say, oh, yeah, we've met before. Before, I can, I'm just like, oh, there is hope in this universe. So they finally make the announcement of who's going to be in the screening. Oh, and, and then another thing. So I did another open mic. I tried to do stand-up. A bunch of new material. It didn't go that well. So I'm a little crushed, okay? I'm a little crushed. I really need to be in the screening. I don't need to win anything at the screening. I need to be in the screening. And so the the names finally come out on Thursday night or whatever it was. I don't, I don't even remember. And my film is on the list. So it is going to screen in Hollywood on Friday night at the big thing. And I've been nominated for Best Actor in a Comedy thing, right? Which is unbelievable. Wonderful. So I'm going to... And, and unfortunately, Scott's didn't uh, make the screening, which was a shame. Um, now, one of the reasons that I kind of did the whole thing is that the judges are industry judges. They're industry judges and they're... You know, this one is the head of production. It's this studio, and this one is the executive producer of that TV show, and this guy manages these. This, And one of the people is this huge comedy manager. And if you see his resume, he managed this comedian and this comedian, like big star comedians. He executive produced this stand-up-related TV show that was on network TV, this thing, this thing. He's he's arguably a comedy institute. You know what I mean? Like he, right? Okay. Well, one of the reasons I do the whole thing is to be seen by this guy. This guy, Barry. Okay? Now, you know me. I'm intimidated. I don't really want to meet Barry. I just want to be there, and I want Barry to see me. Maybe Barry will even come up and say something to me since I've been on the big screen. That would be an easy thing to have happen. Make some industry contacts. So I'm a nervous wreck for the screening. I need it to go well because I feel like I'm not producing, right? So the screening goes, I don't know the running order, but it turns out I'm in like the early middle, which is ideal. The other films are very good. Some of them uh, are more artistic than uh, sense-making. Some of them are funny. Some of them are serious. Some of them are completely absurd and crazy, just freaking like you are twisted and I want to hang out with you all day long. Um, My fear was that... It's because it's a weird sense of humor, this little short, and I have never done anything in this humor before. My my humor, my fear was that it was going to be a flat line, and then Tulu was going to come in and do her little thing that I said before. She's going to do her little thing. Everybody's going to laugh, and then it's going to be a flat line again, and they'll be like, mm, well, at least that little girl was funny. So that's my sincere assumption. Now, luckily, and I don't say this to boast. I say this so you know that why I am still alive and didn't just have some kind of aneurysm right there. The film got laughs. Every joke somehow miraculously got laughs. They weren't all 11 laughs or anything like that. That didn't matter. I didn't need to be 11 for the film. I didn't need that. I needed enough jokes to work. And they got every like everything that was supposed to be funny. They got, I, didn't, I had no expectation of that whatsoever, but they got it, got it. They got it. It worked. And then we saw a bunch of other films and there were a lot of really good people, blah, blah. Now, honestly, at this point, because I, now I've seen all the films, I'm thinking I do have a shot at winning this award for best actor. If for no other reason, and everybody else was really good, but for no other reason than I'm the only one that wasn't part of a, an ensemble cast. My thing, although it used the whole family, I'm clearly the lead. That's just the way it was written. Where the other things were written, sorry, written as an ensemble. So if for no other reason, right, like kind of weird that you're singling out that person in that film when they were with 15 other people that were all doing the same uh, juggling, you know what I mean? The same juggling act. All right, I got to wrap it up. So I won the award. I won Best Actor in a Comedy at the thing, the Collaborative Filmmaker Challenge, 2020, 15, 2015, whatever year this is. So I'm thrilled. 
I'm so excited. My son is there. I don't want to, I, I want to win something in front of my son. Maybe he'll think that I'm not a loser. I go up on stage. I get a laugh because I do kind of a serious walk on purpose and on the stage, whatever. They give me a check. They give me a check for some money. It's the most I've made in a long time. <laughs> it wasn't that big a check, but trust me, it was the most I made in a long time. So Hudson and I are starving. A lot of people are, I mean, all these people that worked on all these films are so talented. They're so gracious. Um, I, I wish I wish it was just this nonstop rotation where we could get to know each other better because it was a lot of great people. It really was. The, the Cowboy's an awesome guy, Raymond uh, Kim Subtle. So, so then there's the big reception afterwards. And Scott, who's also there, who is a rational human being in this regard, says, Dan, you got to talk to Barry, the big comedy manager. And I'm like, uh, I know, but I'm hungry and I'm tired. And I was like, dude, you just won Best Comedy Actor. You've got to go talk to Barry. You're walking around with a statue, with a trophy. you got to go talk to Barry. Well, my number one concern is i got to get a little bit of food in Hudson so he doesn't just lie down in the fetal position somewhere. And we can't find, and, and Scott says this and we can see Barry. And then by the time we get over to where Barry should be, we can't find Barry. So we find some meatballs. We chat with some people. There's so many great people. I run into this actress who was just marvelous in one of the films that I'd met before at this workshop. And she's just one of those people that, I don't know, there's something about her. She's just magnetic. This woman, uh, I think her name is Adel Giza. So we're going to leave. And Scott says, but Dan, you have to talk to Barry. You've got this trophy. You just, I mean, at the very least, you have to go up, start the conference, just say, hey, Barry, thanks for, and he's feeding me lines. Hey, Barry, thanks for judging. It was really great that you took the time, whatever. So nice to uh, shake your hand, whatever. And then you guys can chit chat for a while. It'd be great. Okay, but but you got to go do it. And I'm like, you're right. I know you're right. I agree. But he's talking to those women. And he is. He's talking to like this hot woman that did an awesome job in one of the movies. She played like a, she played a crack head and she was unbelievable and then you see her in real life and you're like oh you don't look like a crackhead at all you look like a gorgeous woman weird so he's talking to her in this very animated long conversation so i'm kind of waiting that out and then i see my opening and before i can get over there he's talking to these two other young women i don't know who the hell they are but they're young and hot so he's chatting with them and chatting with them for five minutes ten minutes i don't know how long so finally I see my opening. I've got my trophy. I've got my suit on. I've got my lines all situated. I'm going to say this, this, this. So I walk up to Barry, the big comedy, right? His whole industry, his whole career is predicated on the talents of comedy people. I walk up to Barry and I stick out my hand and I'm like, Barry, so glad you were here to judge this. It was great that you saw the films. Thank you so much. And I shake his hand and he says, oh my gosh, it was my pleasure and walks away. All right, thank you for listening to The Bitterest Pill. That has been, uh, I think, 331. Sorry for the long absence, but uh, the absence was due to the filmmaking thing. I'm no longer frantically editing and color correcting and writing and whatever, whatever, whatever. So uh, we, we should get back on a regular schedule next week. So here's something interesting that I won't dwell on. So, oh, shoot. Oh, that's right. I got to get the laptop up. Um, Remember for the last three episodes, I've been talking about Patreon or Patreon. Grant told me how to pronounce it. I know Grant. I'm sorry. Um, well, apparently, I don't know how to use the website. And so when I put the episodes in the website, I didn't do it right. So the Patreon thing is now starting now with this episode, <laughs> not the three other episodes, because I didn't tag them right or something on their website or whatever. Whatever. I don't know. But uh, I do want to, st- I have to give, and I, I say have to, I'm honored to give shout outs to that sound you hear is the fan of my laptop. Wow, this thing's hot. I still got to get out of here. No, that's not, where is it? Here we go. Okay, shout outs. This this episode are for uh, new patron, uh, Harold Goldner, Flores, who, Flores, I didn't get to see you when you were here because I was making the film. And thank you for understanding, but I was up to my ass in edits and uh, processing. I think it was right... Flores was in town. When was it? Like right before the due date or something. Anyway, Flores, so, uh, sorry I didn't get to see you. Uh, Tom Carroll, uh, 
is supporting the show. Uh, David Chase and Gerard are supporting the show. Thank you. You know I love you guys. Uh, Gerard uh, Cortinez. Uh, Chris Class, my uh, one of my very good-looking. I have such good-looking cousins. It's sick. And then they're starting to put out good looking. It's just it's crazy. Uh, of course, Scott Mercer, who I badmouthed for 25 minutes on the show. Um, Scott, let's just do the accountant and get it done. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Michael C. Rail, who someday will get a T-shirt, I think. Um, anyway, so thanks for the support of the show. Uh, again, next week, I think we're going to talk about uh, jury duty, finally. And um, I can't see who that is. Uh, and I don't really know. And thanks for everybody. I think some, I think one person may have watched the whole thing on Patreon. Do you know what Patreon is? Have we talked about that yet? <laughs> anyway, um... Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading the show. My phone is about to die. I have to go get... Yes, I really have to go get my daughter. Uh, so thanks for supporting the show, even if it's just by listening to the show. Uh, please uh, tell a friend. Please uh, continue listening. I thank you very much. I thank you very much. And um, if there's something you've been meaning to do, get off your ass and do it. If you need a due date, I would be happy to email you one at any time. Okay? Okay. Thank you very much, Scott and Grant. Thank you both for your uh, help and support. Uh, I will talk to you guys soon. Bye-bye. The Bitter's Pill is produced by Jacket Media, makers of fine podcasts since 2004. That's... 